0: This is Strength Agenda Radio, the podcast where the strong go to get smarter. Each episode features some of the most interesting athletes and coaches in the strength world, sharing their favorite stories, expertise, biggest mistakes, and training tips. And now, here's your host, Tom Soroka.
1: And here we are, boys and girls, episode 30 of Strength Agenda Radio and the end of season three, featuring part two of our interview with Ursula Garza Papandrea. Thanks for listening in and allowing us to record yet another season of this podcast for you. We're already lining up the guests for season four and can't wait to get that out to you guys this winter. Big thanks to our sponsor for this season, Onyx Straps, and for your support in making this thing go. Now on to our question. Today's question goes, hey Tom, I recently read your article on the Strength Agenda site about breaking up with your coach and I wanted to know what you consider the qualities of a good coach. Well, that is seriously a whole episode in and of itself, but I will try to give you a few points that I think will help you determine if you have the right fit for you. So here we go. Number one. How do they treat their, you know, quote unquote, worst lifter? It's really easy to get caught up in a coach who has the cream of the crop and they, and and you know, the things that they have accomplished with that talent. But if you get a chance to watch them in action in their own facility, how are they with all of their other athletes? How are they with the ones who are the hobbyists or who will most likely not have no chance of qualifying for nationals or the American Open or even like a AO series meet? Do they get just excited for their PRs? Do they want to see that athlete progress as much as the best in the room? Plain and simple, do they give a damn about that lifter? It's really easy to jump and whoop and holler when your lifter is on the top of the world. But, in my opinion, a true coach gives the same amount of effort and cares for every single lifter in the room regardless of the ability level. So that's something to take into consideration. Number two, do they practice what they preach? Now, I'm not saying that, you know, what has the coach done as an athlete, because that's completely different. Not all good athletes make great coaches, and not all great coaches were good athletes. And if we're being honest, it's hard to be really good at both. If you disagree, so be it. That's just my observation. Because when push comes to shove, one side is going to have to give. And if you say you can do both great, ask yourself honestly which hat you're willing to take off when it comes down to it. But what I'm talking more about is does the coach say one thing, whether it's on social media, a speech, or an interview, yet do the opposite in their day-to-day? Do they preach patience and sticking to the plan, yet they let their athletes be reckless at meets and max out often in training because they are quote-unquote feeling good? All too often you see coaches preach equations and methods that they can't fully explain themselves when at the core of it, if they, all they need to do is just focus on making sure their athletes are making continued incremental progress over time. Talk to old athletes of that coach, talk to current athletes, and see for yourself how they actually are as a coach versus what they proclaim to be on the interwebs. Number three, have their athletes actually gotten better? See, social media is a wonderful thing as it allows us to see the evolution of an athlete under a particular coach or if they haven't gotten better at all. The true mark of a coach is how long do they keep an athlete with them? You know, how do they keep them from getting better and how do they keep them from being injury free? And, and, you know, that's all these things that we want to take into consideration when looking at developing athletes. If the coach's highlight reel seems to be a revolving door of lifters with not much improvement, then you might want to reconsider your options. Weightlifting is a marathon and not a sprint, so if you are looking at a coach and they seem to keep athletes around for a while and they are getting better, you might be on to something. At the end of the day, just do your research. Talk to the coach. Ask around about them. Chances are you're going to find the answers you need to make an educated decision if you just do a little bit of research. So hopefully this answers your question. Now let's get going. So give me two claps and a Ric Flair. (laughs) Woo! Woo! Um, switching gears a little bit, we had asked a bunch of our listeners for questions um, about USAW. Um, certain, you know, questions that they want, you know, answered and stuff like that. And that was part of the reason I wanted to have you on being somebody that has been so involved in the sport. Somebody that's so respected in the sport. So um, you by mind some. answering a couple of the questions? What would you say?
0: I said by some.
1: By some. By most. <laughs> um, unless they're on Reddit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But anyways, um, so you down for a couple of questions? Oh, of course. Okay. First one that I got, and this one actually interested me because I'd never thought of this. Like it had come up multiple times and pretty much people just kind of brush it off to the side. Um, but this was the very first question that we got and they wanted to know, why don't we have a national like training system? For the U.S.? Like, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this question, but I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on, like, from the times an athlete is identified in the system to the time they're competing for us on the international stage. Why isn't there one unified training system for the United States?
0: Well, first of all, let's just start with the fact that we've never had a system to identify. Okay. So it would be nearly impossible to have a system in place to do all of the rest if we've not even started. We're on square one.
2: Right. Right
0: now, we're on square one, and Susie does the scouting and recruitment. She's mm-hmm. the director of that, yep, and she does an amazing job. And yeah. they're doing all these combines and other things to start that process. We've never had that inherent, like absolutely, you know, school system to identify. They have it in Iran, by the way. I asked them; I asked them a million questions, and one of them was like, "So, you know, the kids in the public schools they have weightlifting? Yeah, um, it's like the second or third most popular sport there. It's yep. soccer, then." wrestling and weightlifting are like battling for number two gotcha. um well, so we don't have that now in terms of um in terms of methodology and philosophy on training systems uh i think a lot of us are more in line with that than people think
2: yeah because most
0: of us especially my generation of coaches um have some sort of like an exercise science degree right and um that's my bachelor's i did a master's in political science but in my undergrad um so a lot of us studied exercise science so that's the premise that you need to have a system Mm. i think you have to have a basic physical cultural education and that's what we see in other countries yeah i was gonna say like there are
1: other countries that are like doctors in weightlifting essentially right
0: or masters or whatever well, a whole yeah, lot yeah, yeah. of masters in- master
1: of sport or anything yeah yeah, yeah. well master okay.
0: of sport is a designation for accomplishment in the actual sport, oh you're but right. they I actually apologize. also get <laughs> master's degrees yes in yes. specializing and phds like you said yeah we don't have any of that you nope. know we have to do exercise physiology or biomechanics kind like this nope. so one of the problems is you know from the beginning we don't find the athletes to even apply a system to And then we've never had the education, um, a degree path set up that would give us all one system anyways. So that basically the infrastructure for all of that isn't there in the educational system to allow for that. So then what does that mean? That means we kind of piecemeal have put things together based on drawing from, from, you know, whatever talent we find. We just kind of look, we've always kind of just looked for it on our own and see what comes across. And then um, very few areas have done full on recruiting mm-hmm. talent identification. Savannah did, and they had a, a really good turnout from that. That's where the, you know, you get the shell Hayworths of the world. Right. Absolutely. Um, but uh, we haven't done it. And, and we're starting that like all of those missing pieces. I'm really interested in doing. I would, I also have, uh, wanted to professionalize our education ranks. Absolutely. Um, to try to make sure that all of the coaches have, all of the instructors have degrees and, are, or yeah. at least a number of years of experience that would be analogous, and then um, teaching the same kind of uh, at least progression methodology. Right. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. really hard to get us all to agree.
2: <laughs> the one thing that yes. you
0: can say is almost all of us are influenced by all of the Soviet literature. Yes. All of us have read Verhushansky, Aleshko, Laputin. Yeah. Medvidev, Roman, like we've all read the same people, so we're extracting a lot of the information. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to have a Hungarian coach, a Bulgarian coach, a Belarusian coach. So I got, you know, like a smattering of the different Eastern European styles of, of coaching yeah. throughout my career. Um mm-hmm. and also American with John Coffey.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: but you know, what I developed was a fusion and I think that's what most of us have done. Yeah. Because when I start looking at what other people do a lot of it's very similar to what I've put together. Right, right, Just, right. I think a lot of it's the taking the basic principles that we learn and strength and conditioning, strength mostly, and applying it to what we know from the different methodologies around the world. And then we end up with very similar looking systems because we all periodize in a very right. similar way. Not all of us. Some, you know, do the Bulgarian thing. And I trained in that style for a while and ended up with seven ganglion cysts on my wrist. And one of the problems with importing other systems is the fact that as we know now, and it's no secret, uh, most of the world was on drugs. Right. So, uh, and, and particularly the systems we were pulling from cause they were the most developed.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: But they still had a lot of merit to how they did things right, and for sure. in technique. And so, um, I think that we have never had the infrastructure to have, uh, one system and then, um, now we're at a point where there's so many different little schools around in terms of our schools of thought and how we should uh, prepare athletes that it's hard to create cohesion amongst us because right. everybody thinks that they have the way. Oh, and yeah. My general yeah, idea is that they're, they're an expert. Yeah. The, the, I mean, and you can be an expert, but your way may not be the best for every single individual. And you know, we all get to the point where we realize this is a a sport of individual athletes, With different capacities, strengths, weaknesses, Mm -hmm. abilities, talents, agility, and we all have they they have to work different things depending on. You're just looking for the deficiencies and trying to fill those Mm -hmm. in, and if you can do that, you can actually tap into their real potential. Yeah, Um, and so I I'm not sure that what we everything we've ever had in place before has ever given us the premise upon which we could really develop one training system and now we're in a place where getting everybody to agree on the training system yeah absolutely would be difficult we also have never we don't have the geography of other countries right where there's one major city and most people live in it
1: that is yeah that is another thing yeah we're kind of spread
0: out here in the u.s mm-hmm. And but China was able to, to, to do something with even though and, and, and a lot of that is as I mentioned the infrastructure that's there having weightlifting in schools and colleges right all of that lends itself to being able to train to create something that looks more like a national training system absolutely um, and we just have never really had that infrastructure to do it
1: right that may, I mean that, that's a fair enough answer next question we have is about the new weight classes. Um, the question in particular, they want to know about why they made even lower weight classes than the 48 and the 56, when originally a lot of the talk was that they were going to combine like the 48, the 53, and the 56 and the 62. Like, I don't know. That's obviously all hearsay. We don't know well, how accurate that is. Well, first you
0: need to, yeah, that, that was, um, I have uh, the classes that that they came up with um, from the Body Weight Commission, and it started at 55 for men and 47. Okay. So those were what were that were proposed based on all of the things that the Body Weight Commission had come up with, and and it's true that obviously um, they went um, they went lower for the women, right? right? I don't have the numbers in front of me; it's a whole other set. You know how many sets of numbers I'm looking at? at Oh,
1: I can only imagine.
0: No, I've got because I've got these different proposals. Um, I and I just opened my folder. That was a mistake. And, and I went through so many iterations that I'm having a hard time remembering even what what was finally... You have all the uh, secrets in there right now. Yeah. So um, with the men starting at 55, that actually is in line with what was proposed okay. uh, by the Body Weight Commission. Now, looking at men's history, from 1920 to 1988, or 1992, sorry, it, was, uh, it started in 88 for the women, the men's class was... First class was 52. Remember, Zygmunt was a 52. Yeah. And then you went to 56. When we had 10 classes, they spanned from 52 to 110 plus for the men. For the women, when we first were introduced internationally and nationally, we started at 44. And we had nine classes. And it went up to 82.5 plus. So I think you need to know a little bit about like weight class history before you flip out. I do agree. I mean, I voted to start with forty-seven. By the way, yeah, um, I lost that vote along with the, some other people that voted with me, and all of that should be in minutes that are going to come out um, when they see who all voted what um, in the IWF. So, if anybody wants to read what happened during that executive, I mean, during that executive board meeting, yeah, the minutes are, are being prepared
1: um, as we speak. How how um, mu- how much was your phone blowing up when you were in
0: that meeting? Uh, I didn't. I had my phone off to the side. Nice. I wasn't, uh, well, first of all, I mean, we were in Tashkent, so we were on a 12-hour time change. Yeah. So when we were in the meeting actually discussing stuff, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Um, there were people messaging me. Oh, I can't um, imagine. And I was, uh, we were just waiting uh, to have the discussion. But for the, the first day that we were in that executive board meeting, we did not broach uh, the weight class category discussion. And so I got lots of... I thought we would do it July 4th. We did it July 5th. Gotcha. Um, so Makes I got sense. a lot of messages oh, I for, oh at my the end God, of July I 4th. People... None of them said Happy Independence Day. They all said, what about the weight classes? Yeah. And I was like, we you know, we haven't talked about them yet. You'll know as it. soon as we know. Um, and days. sure enough, I mean, as soon as the meeting was over, as we were still in the room and they had already posted on the IWF website what, what the classes were. Yeah. It all went so fast. They knew that. They I can only ready.
1: imagine. That was, but that, the, that was the, the men
0: starting at, I think, at 55 is actually, um, I mean, that is, um, other than that, you know, 56, I mean, that's right in line with what we've seen. Yeah. The men start, they had a 52, and then when we switched classes from 93 to 97, the men started at 54. And then when we switched down to having only eight classes for the men is the first time you see a start at 56. So the idea that we're going to Have 10 classes, I think justifies starting at 55. Obviously, I'm not happy with the middleweight areas. I feel like there should be more middleweight classes on both. But um, everything is compromise. Mm -hmm. And the best I could do was really like fight for the 59 class to be in the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, I think that was my only real contribution because I was about to lose my mind Um, when they were talking about pulling the 59s. Um, But so that's, you know, you got to know a little bit about history to to know why they they started so low. For the women, uh, the classes originally started at 44. Yeah. And then we had 46 and then 48. And I'm just going through the, I'm sorry. Yeah, 46 and 48. Those were the different. Uh, changes. Yeah, so and interestingly, the one that I'm off. looking at right now for Olympic classes, which is, I guess what we got starts okay. at 49. Um, All right. So, so these are basically ne- like what were being suggested yeah. by a second proposal. Good deal. Good
1: deal. So our next question, um, this one was, I, I, I was trying to find a better I'm way. I'm to- still
0: not happy with exactly what we got, but whatever. I I'll think just- a lot
1: of that. Yeah. I think that there were going to be people on, you know, either side. Sure. Some sure. People- I,
0: you know, it, it's nobody. I went in, I, you know, gave, uh, my advice and my input and we got what we got. And now we're just going to like every other weight class change that's happened through our history. We're all just going to adapt.
1: Right. Absolutely. Like that was the thing that I, I, I didn't understand when people were complaining about the weight classes in particular. It was just like, you don't have a say, like you can hem and haw all you want. But like the fact of the matter is our higher ups have Selected this. Well, it is what it is. Either fall in line or go to another sport. Like,
0: but I am going to tell you how the whole process started. The first thing that the IWF did was solicit all of the member federations yeah. to send in suggestions,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then they convened the bodyweight commission and um, th- that committee that they put together, which included two Americans, both the doctor, uh, Doctor Lavalley, and and Kyle Pierce were both on it, and so um, we actually had quite a bit of potential input in different areas. The thing is, at the end of the day, not even their suggestions were what we ended up with. Yeah. Everything had to be kind of compromised. And I was willing to go with their suggestions, um, which the Iranians posted, um, as you all probably saw from Instagram, because people were copying their posts. And um, their, you know, the Bodyweight Commission's proposals were 55, 61, 67, 73, 80, 87, 95, 106, 118, 18 plus. So they um started about the same, but they went up higher um and i I mean they had more classes in that seventy three eighty eighty seven uh range that I really think should exist
2: yeah i agree um,
0: and so and they were able to go draw up higher right which was uh which was i thought good um for the ten classes right. And then the women, they started at 47, 51, 55, 59. I thought that was a great. Like, I was ready to vote for all of these, but everybody, apparently, you know, other people felt differently. Yeah. And that's why I have all this scribbling. I I can see here where they were dropping down. They wanted to drop from 47 to 45. The 51 was still there, the 55. Yeah. And that's not even what we ended up with. Yeah. Like, I have all of these changes that were going. And I was sitting next to Niku Vlad, who is the chair of the technical committee. Um, and I, I often do in the meetings because we're both vice presidents. And he was the one that had is on the sports program commission. And so he was ultimately like the bodyweight commission stuff reported to them. And then they came to us along with technical committee mm-hmm. suggestions. And I thought these were really sound and there was a lot of science and um, work behind them. And lots of iterations that had been tried. Yeah. And I was making fun of him because all during the meeting on the fourth, he was just sitting there writing different combinations and doing stuff. And it's really tricky because once you want to change one, you've got to start changing others. Yeah, and absolutely. it's like the snowball exactly. effect. Yeah, it's a formula. And I was like, just stop, Nico. And he's like, No, I have to, I have to. And then and I'm sure you know who Nico Vlad is, yeah, right? Yeah. The Romanian. Um the RDL person. Yep. And then um, the night, that night I came in and we had all gone to dinner and I, I was kind of lagging behind and I'm walking through the lobby and I see him there by himself at a table with a bunch of paper writing numbers and I started making fun of him. I was like, oh, I'm like, when are you going to stop writing numbers? He's like, no, no, we have to get this right. They were really trying, I think, so hard to just incorporate what everybody wanted. Yeah. It became more complicated than it had to oh, be. Oh, of
1: course. That's always how it ends up. Yeah. So our next question, um, I like I said, this one was uh, worded. I wouldn't say weirdly; it was worded differently. So I'm trying to be the, the most PC way to word this. Essentially, they want to know what resources are available for lifters that are in like lower, lower socioeconomic statuses, um, uh, minorities, things along those lines. Like, what kind of resources are there available, or are there? Um, yeah I guess just are that are available for them to get involved in weightlifting and give be given the same opportunities that somebody I apologize for that um, that they be given them the same opportunities as for you know somebody that might be in a little bit of a better situation to get involved in weightlifting and advance their career you know towards like the Olympics or international competition.
0: Well. I grew up uh, in a really bad neighborhood with nothing and managed to go to the YMCA. Yeah. Um, And I think that at least just getting some lifting in or learning the basics. Like, Mm -hmm. I was lucky that I had a brother who lifted weights, and he taught me how to lift, and there was muscle and fitness, and I just did whatever they did in that magazine. And I ended up, fortunately, not looking like any of them. Um, There are some clubs. Obviously, Derek runs one, Kings of Weightlifting, not-for-profit, um, and he came from the Lift for Life Club in Missouri. Yep. Um, I know there's Steve's Club up north. There are different, yeah. there aren't enough yes. uh, performance initiatives out in Savannah yep. that Terry I, I got a chance runs. to talk to both. We used to, uh, we both trained at, at, the Austin, at Austin Community College. We got lucky yeah. because we had support from the local community college, and Mark Henry came along. And well, when Mark Henry came along, because I was lifting years before him, but when he stepped on stage, right uh or came into the the scene um there was a willingness to 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 provide more support in terms of getting equipment so we at least had good equipment um, I was also lucky because john coffee uh, sent us to competitions I really got lucky I think as did somebody like jody who was one of my athletes that we had that um, in terms of resources you know unfortunately USA weightlifting Pays athletes who are performing—that's what high performance is about. Um, but I think that uh, that's really an area. I mean, it's an area for the board to address. Mm-hmm. But and I'm glad that you asked that question because then that puts the seed in my mind. Like, what can we try to do? Right, absolutely. Um, besides support programs like um, Kings of Weightlifting and Lift for Life yeah, and absolutely. Performance Initiatives, yeah, I- which largely all function on their own.
1: Absolutely. I well, I got looking. I was at the, the Coaches Symposium and I got to speak on the panel about weightlifting as, from a business standpoint. And I was speaking, so speaking on the for-profit side, but I got the chance to listen. Um, Derek, both Derek and Kerry uh, Goodrich were on that panel as well. And I got a chance to talk to both of them afterwards because I, 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 I'm I 100% with you that we need more programs like that. Listening mm-hmm. to uh, Carrie and what she deals with and what the, the the type of uh, clientele that she gets in her business on a regular basis, like we definitely need more things like that. So yeah, I didn't know, pers- and that's why I wanted to ask that question because I didn't know if USAW even had anything in place for something like that. So I'm really glad that that, that question was asked and I was glad I was able to spark hopefully spark some conversations some and future you know thought towards creating resources and things for those for that population
0: you know what i think what we can do is just try to give support to the the, the people yep. who are do, doing it on their own like carrie and derek um derek also created the lindenwood program yeah yep. derek makes shit happen like people don't understand i think the de- degree to which he is willing to put in hard work right and right. lay foundations and how many people benefit from the work that he's done. Um, and now he's doing it with the kings of weightlifting. So, I mean, he's like hero status to me. But, uh, and Carrie is too. Like what Carrie's doing is phenomenal. Um, and it's, I can't imagine the, like the level of, of stress that she deals with Yeah, um, to make those things happen. I'm going to tell you that the LSUS program was born of something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle was working and I used to go and I think this is something that we can all do in general. Mm-hmm. I used to go, me and my ex-husband, who was from Belarus and competed on the Belarusian Olympic team, would drive when I was on the world team. He and I would drive to Louisiana and do exhibition lifting yeah. to try to support what was going on there. This was before uh, there was Kendrick Ferris. Yes. Um, and Kendrick actually came out of that same little program that I went at Seabird bird to support um, and Kyle just asked us to come. He's like, can you come do some guest lifting? I'm just trying to rally some sponsorships right. for these programs. And so we went in, and so there we were. Ola got the key to the city. I didn't get shit <laughs> and, uh, from the mayor. And we were able to help drum up and generate some support for the program that Kyle was putting his heart and soul into. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, you know, you fast forward 15 years, and you, you have Kendrick running, you know, everything and going to the Olympics initially. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think it's worth all of us making whatever efforts we can do to try to support those programs. The day Kings of Weightlifting opened, I was there with Derek.
2: That's awesome.
0: The first three kids that came in, it was, you know, he and I were with. That's awesome. awesome. More started to trickle. We started to do it. I was like, let's do a long jump competition. Yeah. And then that's when they just started coming in when they saw us doing that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, Derek was like, "That's the way to go. That's what we should." Do. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, what yeah, are we gonna do now? Just, it was, it was fun. Just can you do? Better and I can't than I wait to get back and see where some of those kids are <laughs> that I saw that first day. I was literally teaching uh, some of the kids how to do a long jump, like they'd never yeah. jumped. Right. And that's insane to me, right? Yeah, but absolutely. You are growing up where they're really in in an urban jungle, and you get that these are these yeah. are new experiences, and being able to offer them is something that is. Just tremendous for sure. Um, it, before I die, hopefully I won't die soon, but before I, I die, I want something like that up and running here in Austin. Gotcha. And I've talked to Mark Henry, um, and he has ideas too. So I think somehow between the two of us, we'll make it happen. We I could, owe it
1: to the sport. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of two better people to get something like that going. So we'll end this with just a question about you in terms of USAW and your relationship, yeah. like. What's next for you? Like, what you've talked about a lot of things that you want to that you're working on currently, but like, what, what what's next for you? Like, what what is your main goal for the next? You know, I don't know, however many years. Like, what what is next for Ursula?
0: You know, Ursula doesn't um, do real good with plans. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the Friday, I never plan to be president. I actually. Planned actively to not be president. Yeah. <laughs> president. Yeah. I didn't run for chair the first time I could have run for chair. Um, I wasn't sure about the vice president thing either. Like, Yeah. Um, I knew I had like the language skills and the people skills to be able to do something like that. Right. And I had support and that's what it takes for for that. I, I didn't happen because I was just qualified. It happened because I got support um, from, you know, different countries and, and members that were already on the executive board. Um, I really don't know. Like I, I term out from the board of directors. I'm currently our IWF delegate. And of course, the vice president's IWF, that's a four-year term. So I'll, you know, do all of that. Um, I, you know, I keep, I, I, I teach at the community college um, and in the mornings. And then I have a gym. We opened it at like an actual Texas barbell location. That is just Texas barbell. David Griffin and I, who has been fantastic. Like, yeah. I couldn't do a quarter of the things that I do without David Griffin because mm-hmm. he keeps things going and weightlifting here for me while I'm, you know, hopping around the world. And, uh, you know, I have, like, the best athletes and clients that they're just... I thank God, like, I'm so lucky that I'm surrounded by the people that I have. Um, my only plan is to keep doing more of what I'm doing to try to find... Whatever avenues there are to keep um, moving forward with what I think obviously my purpose is, mm-hmm. which became very clear over time, yeah, which is to continue promoting and growing uh, weightlifting in general, mm-hmm. particularly women in weightlifting. And uh, I want to keep – I've got some things going with, uh, with the, the Women's Commission that are important and trying to continue to grow weightlifting internationally for women, to increase the pool, things that I, I've mentioned that I'm kind of working on now. Right. I hope that I'll be able to continue doing those. I love coaching. My yeah. heart is in coaching. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I, I never dreamed of doing the you know vice president of this or that or whatever. My, you know, my real dream was to be an Olympian, which I'm not, mm-hmm. um, to coach Olympians. Uh, and I've worked with quite a few, but that's not um, what I'm, doing at the moment mm-hmm. um, I, and I, I think you know I want to get back to that when, yeah. when I'm done I want to put myself 100% back into coaching and and really see what I'm made of
1: that's awesome um,
0: well, I can't I, wait I've to see I've done different that. things but I feel like I haven't like I never feel like I met my full potential as an athlete and I'm, I don't feel like I've met my full potential as a coach yet either and awesome. what happens is the page keeps turning yeah and I'm not done with the last chapter
1: nice i like yeah. that that's a great quote i love that mm-hmm. all right so we're gonna take a break real quick uh put some of our uh, sponsors on and then we're gonna go move into the lightning round and have a little fun you ready okay hey are you a weightlifter do you pull heavy are there days where your grip just isn't cooperating and you need some extra help holding on to that bar well besides building a stronger grip i've become a huge fan of onyx straps Last year before I left for the World Cup for Moss Wrestling in Hungary, Danny, the owner, reached out and asked if I would like to try a few pairs of his new straps out, and of course I said sure. In the gym, we have a box of straps that are open to anybody to use use if they forget their straps, so I just grabbed a couple pairs when they came in the mail and I threw them right on top of the box with the rest of them. By the end of the week, I was noticing that the lifters were searching out who had a pair of the Onyx straps and were sitting on the bench waiting for them to be free so they could use them when they got to do their pulls. Now, annoying as this is for a coach, uh, but if, if I was the guy that actually made these straps, I'd be proud as hell of the product. If athletes are waiting in line to use them, you must be doing something right. Danny created Onyx out of a love for his work of leather. He combined that with his passion for weightlifting and that resulted in a great quality product for the community. On top of that, anytime I have questions, he's quick to respond and is really detailed in his answers. He's not relying on spokespeople to push his product, but instead letting the product do the talking for him. These straps are made with genuine leather, not some cheap hybrid material, and it can be made in various thicknesses, lengths, and styles. They also have some cool color option combos out there too. So if you're at any of the national events for USA Weightlifting, chances are Danny is there and he's got a booth, and you can talk to him and grab a pair for yourself. Otherwise, head on over to www.onyxstraps.onyxstraps dot com and get yourself a pair okay lightning round questions have absolutely nothing to do with anything i'm going to ask you a question we've pulled a bunch of our listeners uh we do that a lot here if you haven't figured that out and you're just going to give me the first answer that comes to your mind okay we'll start a little bit easy and then we'll kind of progress on from there these and just literally are you gonna just stump me yeah that's kind of i'm gonna feel like
0: jeopardy i'm just gonna sit here with no answer
1: yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of like jeopardy um first question who's winning in a fight batman or spider-man spider-man why
0: i didn't know there was gonna be why. Oh, come on now
1: there's <laughs> always there's always a trick come on now why at least
0: he's, just more, he's more agile
1: okay you are you are you going off of the premise that batman's just a normal dude no i am he's
0: a superhero but he's got that plate thing on. That's going to restrict how he moves. Okay. Oh, like, so you're, go, you're going. It.
1: You're going with just the straight up athleticism. I'm going with straight up with athleticism. Gear. Okay. Okay. I can yeah. get with. I can get behind that. All right. Um, if you could walk up to any person, I, I have. I, I'm stuck between two, but I think I'm. I, I want to. I really want to hear personally this answer. You have the ability to walk up to one person um, in the entire history of the world, and you get to kick them square in the shin with a steel toe boot. No repercussions, no nothing. Who are you kicking and why? Stalin. Stalin. I like it. That was quick. That was a quick response. I'm going to ask the other question now too because I want to hear this answer. You're looking at a map of the United States. All 50 states are out on there. Um, You get to push a state like it's a button and that state disappears off the map for the rest of time. What state are you eliminating and why?
0: God, that's hard. That's hard thought provoking because the ones that I immediately think of are just low populous states so that you minimize collateral damage in terms of how many people disappear with the state
1: <laughs> spoken like a true politician
0: it's <laughs> true um, but then you start thinking of where do the most douchebags live Not, that's
1: where I always go first I, I...
0: So, well yeah so then you can get rid of a lot of douchebags at one time oh um, I'm a, I can't even say where I would. You can imagine where the button would get pushed on that one.
1: Yeah, right. So let's go with the collateral damage response. What's and
0: one? I can't even do like Oklahoma because that's where the Indian reservations are. and That's just, that was being messed up.
1: All right, so what state? You got to pick one.
0: Oh, geez. Do I really have to? Yeah. Yeah, you can of okay, do It's going to have to be. I can't get rid of Nevada.
2: <laughs> that's where I went okay I mean it's kind of
0: I mean really if it went for Vegas it would just be a desert Nevada
1: alright we're getting rid of Nevada Nevada you're the first person to answer with Nevada alright last question this one's
0: what do people usually answer uh, California
1: Iowa's been a really popular one Iowa and California are two of the top ones Montana
0: Iowa because there's
1: nothing yeah, there they I mean, said see- they, the, 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 the most recent response was there's no professional sports team they have never, nothing to offer <laughs> That's yeah. That's horrible. I'm that just would... thinking,
0: like, if there wasn't Vegas, like Nevada wouldn't would be right. Even oh, 100. percent. just a desert.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I
0: mean, I didn't get. I got rid of a desert. There you what's go. It
1: doing? Yep, and we'll replace it with something nice and pretty. All right. Last mm-hmm. question, completely random. You're sitting at a bar, like an old saloon with the swing doors and everything. The door swings open. Every, all the music stops. The piano stops playing. You're sitting at the bar. You turn around. There's a penguin standing in the doorway wearing a sombrero. When you guys make eye contact, what does he say to you?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Where do you
0: get this shit? (laughs) What does he say to me? Get me a cold one. All right, there you go. That's
1: all it is. All right, plug time. (laughs) Where can people find out more about you besides Reddit?
0: No, that would not be where. Um, That is just, talk about if you can put your a finger on a button and make something it. disappear yeah, yeah.
1: I, I am with you hundred percent on that one I would very so plug time let's plug texas barbell ursula all the stuff that you're involved in where can people well, find have, more about I it i
0: have a, a website called weightlifting wise yep. and there's it's a really crappy low level i'm not high tech but it's a cool I, logo. I mean i'll s- still yeah the logo is the only thing I, I really invested in and um but it has some of the stuff i'm doing cool. um, like i'm doing a snatch clinic this weekend i'm teaching an art of coach of weightlifting course in san diego very cool uh at the end of august that be a nice little trip uh, teaching uh two usa weightlifting courses in honolulu mm-hmm. um on the 18th 19th and 20th oh, how'd you land uh, that gig it's not really a gig you know like usaw doesn't pay for you to go
1: yeah, I know. Yeah, no, I, I know. I
0: know. So I, I might break even. Hey, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's I'm, better than, better I'm, i better. Might... Breaking
1: even is better than losing money on those.
0: Yeah, but I'm going to fly in, do the course, and leave. It's not like I'm going to hang out on the beach. Fair enough. Fair enough. It might. I mean, I'm going to honestly. Some the one hour sitting on in Waikiki on the mm-hmm. beach was probably worth all of the rest of the crap Fair when enough. I did go. Um, go. Um, but I've been a couple of times. Um, I go to take and not given with Claire and Mike Caro. Yeah, and they're awesome. Yeah. So I mean, basically, I I would do anything they asked me to do because they really put everything into their weightlifting gym, and that's, you know, admirable. And if they're doing it, then you got to reciprocate. Oh, for
1: sure, a hundred percent. So, what's the name of the website? Which is weightliftingwise dot com.
0: Very
1: uh-huh. right, cool. All right. Well, Ursula, I thank you very, very much for this. This is awesome. Of I'm glad course. we finally got, got to Tom. do this. Um, I will let you get on with the rest of your day. And for those who need to find out more about Ursula, check out weightliftingwise.com. And until next time, take care.
0: Thanks for listening to Strength Agenda Radio. Be sure to visit strengthagendaradio.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover exclusive offers and resources for our listeners. Until next time, train hard, lift heavy.